Good morning. It's good to see those of you that are here, and I know there's, there's some that are home, and I just, I'm thankful that we can be here uh, this morning, that we can worship God. And there's, there's, I was thinking uh, this week, uh, back earlier this year, when we were all stuck at home on Easter, and it was not a, a normal, typical Easter. Last night, I was one of the things I like to do um, is is listen to other messages and, and other people preaching because I need to preach that just as much as anybody. I was listening to a message last night while I was washing the dishes. And uh, it was a message from a couple of years ago. And it was talking about the rush of Christmas and all these things. And, and, just, and I was in my spirit thinking, man, that is not this year. It's different this year. We... Normally, that's what we talk about, how busy we are trying to get our Christmases decorated and all the parties scheduled and all the other things that, we've got going, that we would have going on during Christmas. And normally, it's a time that we encourage people to slow down, take a breath, and, 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 and just experience and remember and, and kind of ruminate uh, on, on the, 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 uh, the, the blessing of what Christmas really is. But this isn't that year. This year is a year when we've all been stuck in our houses and everything is different, and we're and and we're not looking to, to we're not hoping at least as far as I can, as far as I believe we're not hoping to hear some some new twist on Christmas. Man, I just miss I just miss the old story because that old story is still a good story. This morning we're talking about, we're going to be talking about, last week we spoke about love and, or hope in, in uh, uncertain times and, and how we looked at Simeon and Anna having hope uh, in, the, in the promises of God uh, from the Old Testament and God having uh, told Simeon that, they, that he would not die before he saw the Messiah, the one who was promised. And, and what a blessing that was. Things were uncertain for the people of Israel, but that was a promise of God and they were able to, to, to have hope because of the promises of God. And listen, we have, the, we have promises of God that no matter what, how uncertain our times are, we can still trust and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm grateful for that. Today we're going to be talking about the, the Christmas story, and we're going to be talking about a, a, a verse, a, another verse that we'll get to in a few minutes that, that I can guarantee you every single one of you has memorized. But, but the reason we go, I want to go back over those verses, and the, the reason I want to go back over that, that old story is because the truth of that story is still just as relevant as it is to, as today as it was back when it was first written. Nothing has changed. In fact, that we're going to be talking about the reason for the season. It's, it's talking about love. The reason that Christ came to die, came to be born on this earth, well, it was because of the, of the love of God. Let's go ahead and look at, first of all, the, the how, the where, the, the what of Christmas. John, John, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Says so it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own 
city. Let's stop there for a moment. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, I, I pray that you would give me direction in this, in, in, in this passage. Lord, I pray that you would give me the exact words you'd have me to say. Lord, that we could be an encouragement to our folks. Lord, that we might even be able to be exhorted, uh, built up, strengthened, Lord, in our love for one another uh, through this, through this uh, message today. God, I pray that you would have your will in, in what's to be done, Father. Lord, I pray that our hearts and our, our minds would be sensitive to your spirit. Lord, help me to be sensitive to your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We, he, we see here, the, at first, the, the how of, of Christmas. Uh, it's uh, anytime you, you write a report. I learned this when I was in school. Uh, there are some questions that are good to answer. I tried to teach this to my kids when we homeschool. They're going to write a report, and you have to answer some questions. How, when, what, where, why? Yeah. Uh, and what is, uh, what is it you're talking about? How did it happen? Uh, some of you teachers are saying there's a whole lot more to it than that, and yes, I know that, but, but I'm pretty basic, so we're going to answer some basic questions this morning. How? How did it happen? Well, that's answered here in the first couple of verses. Uh, how did Joseph and Mary end up in Bethlehem? How did, how did, listen, I can tell you how it all happened. God was in control. Now, it says here in verse 1, it came to pass in those days, it just so happened in those days, that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Uh, this is verifiable, verifiable by history. You can go back and, and read Roman history, and it, that, that, that decree went out. It's the reason we can pinpoint uh, the, 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 about the time of the birth of Jesus Christ, because that decree did go out. But do you think Caesar Augustus did that all by himself? Was it just an accident? Uh, Jesus could have been born anywhere, except for the fact that in, in uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the Bible says that he had to be born in Bethlehem. So if, the, if God had worked in the Old Testament, listen, Micah was written 700 years before Jesus was born. Do you think the writers just made all this up? No, we can verify it by history, and we know that because of the working of God, that, 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 that it was by the working of God that, that brought the, Joseph and Mary uh, to, to, uh, to uh, Bethlehem. It says, It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. So we can actually pinpoint a date and a time to that. It says, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. Every Jewish person had to go back to the, to the lineage or the, 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 the city of their birth. And guess where Joseph was born? Bethlehem. You know why? Because he was the house and lineage of David. Does that not fulfill another prophecy of, Je of the birth of the Messiah? Remember, Simeon and Anna, we talked about several of those things. Uh, uh, Simeon and Anna were looking back at those old prophecies with hope, looking for the future, that God was going to keep the promises that he had made. And, and here's another one of the promises, that they were going to be born of the house and lineage of David. And listen, although Joseph isn't Jesus' father, Mary's lineage is lineages of David as well. They're, 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 there, they're, there, uh, they're, they're there in Bethlehem for a specific purpose. That's how they got there. But can I tell you, it wasn't just because some governor made a decree. It wasn't just because uh, they, they had to go pay their taxes. It was because God worked it out in his sovereignty, in his control, that he worked in, in the heart of a king, in the heart of a governor to make that decree. None of us like to pay our taxes None of us, uh, uh, there, there are certain things that, 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 we, that we like to do or don't like to do, but, but can I tell you, the Bible, 
Brother, every time she said that, I catch myself all the time. The, the, the truth is, the Bible says that the heart of the king is, is, the, is in the hand of the Lord. It was not by accident that Cyrenius made this decree. God put it in his heart for the very purpose that when Jesus was born, he would be born exactly where the prophets had written that he would be born 700 years ago. He was born to Mary and Joseph. Listen, that wasn't an accident. That wasn't an accident. Uh, that fulfilled the, uh, fulfilled the law and, and prophecy because he was to be born of the house and lineage of David. Now, understand this, legally, he had the father also, for him to be considered legally the king, his father had to be under the house and lineage of David. As far as the world was concerned, his father was, uh, was, was of the house and lineage of David. We just read that. Spiritually, phys- physically, he was born of the house and lineage of David because he was born of Mary. They say he was the only begotten son of the father. There are other versions of the Bible that take out the word begotten. But that's a very important word. Because we're, we could all consider ourselves sons of God. We're talking, we're talking about John 3.16, by the way. Uh, uh, we're, all, we're, all, we've, we're all made sons of God. The Bible says that we've been adopted into that. But Jesus was begotten. Remember, the, the Holy Spirit came, came upon Mary. And implanted that child into her. I, I, I don't know how all of that worked in the, uh, the science. Of, I just know that God created it. I'm not, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit became an angel and, and had his way with her. What I'm saying is the Spirit placed that child within her. So again, to fulfill another prophecy that, ever, that she would be born of a virgin, Isaiah chapter 7. All of this was prophesied hundreds of years before it happened, and, and God fulfilled it here. This is, this is the how. This is, this is a, what happened. God moved them there. We see the, the, we see the where here in verse, chapter, verse uh, 4. And Joseph also went up unto Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Notice in verse 5, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Interestingly enough, that is a 90-mile journey that they made. Five days walking and riding on donkeys. For those of you ladies who've been, who, who have been great with child, <laughs> can you imagine that ride? Probably not. But that's what they went through. They, uh, they got to Bethlehem. That was the where. It was, it was done to fulfill that prophecy. Let's go ahead and look at it in Micah chapter 5, 2. It says this, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, thou, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall it come forth unto me, that is to, that is to come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old from everlasting it's talking about our Messiah Jesus Christ in the flesh God in the flesh so we know how God worked it in the heart of Cyrenius uh, he was born of Mary and Joseph which again fulfills prophecy uh, they end up in, in Bethlehem which again fulfills more prophecy interestingly enough the word the name Bethlehem means house of bread. 
What did Jesus call himself in John chapter, John chapter uh, 5? Sorry, John chapter 6, verse 51. I am the bread of life. Don't let that be lost on us because it was through Christ, through this birth, that life was going to come to a world that was living in darkness. We see the how, we see the what, or we see the where. We see the what. It's a, it's a, it is a historical fact that this took place. Excuse me for a second. I've got to readjust my math. All right. Drive me crazy. It's a historical fact. Look at verse 7. It says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in the swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There are many people who believe that, that Jesus was just, a, was just a, a figure that was made up that is not real. Uh, that, uh, but, uh, but historians do not argue that. Atheists will argue that. They'll say that Jesus wasn't really a person. It's just somebody that was written in the Bible to, to provide this, this caricature for, for people to follow. But, but history tells us that it's true. In fact, if you go back into history and, and look up Josephus, Josephus was not a Christian. He was a Jewish historian. Uh, he, uh, he was in, in uh, and he wrote twice about Jesus Christ. Once he wrote about, uh, once he wrote about his birth and once he wrote about his death. He talked about how he was a man who had done many strange deeds and who was killed by Pontius Pilate, all verifying the truth of Scripture. Not only did he do it, but Roman, uh, the Romans themselves, uh, historians, uh, I believe it's uh, uh, Flavius was, was the Caesar uh, who did it, but he recorded the fact that Jesus had been crucified by the Romans. By, uh, and so uh, at, at the request of the Jewish people, uh, his birth and his death are historical facts. And while we can talk about the facts of what happened and, and where it happened and how it happened, the most important part of the story is why it happened. Not just to fulfill prophecy. Not just to, to, to bring forth a, a child. We can get focused on the, the, the birth of Jesus Christ at Christmas because that's what we're celebrating. But what is the most important part of Christmas? The gift that, Jesus, that God gave to us. Look with, you, look with me, if you would, if you would. To John chapter 3, 16. So I don't need to turn there. I can quote it. I can, I can guarantee you almost everybody in this room can quote it. But what's one of the problems that happens when we become very familiar with a passage of Scripture? We read over it so fast that we lose the importance and we lose the power that is there. See, we, we, we know the how, the when, and the what, and the where, but what we don't know is why. And if you're a child of God, you know the why. But let's, let's take a, look, a closer look at this. It says, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The first word in verse 16 is for. That, that's, a, that's a conjunction. It, it, it connects us to the, the previous verses. The previous verses, verses 14 and 15, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and he's, he's, he's reminding Nicodemus of an Old Testament passage, an Old Testament uh, account of, of, uh, of punishment of the people of Israel uh, by the snakes and, Mo, and, and what Moses had done or what God had told Moses to do. It says in verse 14, it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, 
must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. And it says, for God so loved the world. The reason, it, it, he's, he's reminding him of the sin of the, of the people and, 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 the, uh, and the answer to, to the people that God gave them. And that was to lift up this, this, uh, cr- this snake, it was this bronze snake or serpent that was put up on a, uh, up on a rod. And they were lifted up and if the people looked upon the rod, they would be healed. And he did that so that they could be healed. Now listen, was there any, is there any power in that snake? No, but what was that snake to be? A symbol of Jesus Christ being lifted up on the cross that would one day take place. And listen, if we can look to Jesus Christ, we'll find what? Life. We'll find forgiveness. And we'll find hope. So we see John, John 3.16 starts with four, connecting it to those things. This is the answer, and, and, but it still doesn't give us the why. 16 gives us the why. For God... So loved the world. Think about that for a second. God so loved the world. We think about Christmas and, and it's, it's families and little kids start thinking about presents and trees. And, and some of us just wish we could go back to the way it was in the old days and rip off the mask. And I, I appreciated Jimmy's. Jimmy's prayer request. Pray that coronavirus will go away so we can spend, for a couple days, so we can spend uh, time together with our families. Isn't it sad when when that's a child's request or prayer? But listen, the whole purpose was this, because God loved us. For God so loved the world. The word so is important here. It, it, it flows off the tongue so quickly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. No, for God so. It's talking about the volume or amount that God loved us. Hey, hey, listen, there is no limit to the amount of God. God is infinite in all of his characteristics. And the Bible says that God is love. His love is one of his characteristics. Uh, you can measure the amount of the sea. You can measure the amount of air in a room. You can measure all kinds of different things. But what you can't measure is something that never, ever ends. And the Bible says that God is infinite. His love is infinite. And his love never, ever ends. And we can't love that much. <laughs> but I'm certainly glad that God can. For God so loved the world, the next word is loved. Uh, uh, we, we, we know this word, and, and some of us have a, uh, as Christians, we have a, a, an understanding of this word. But it's, it, it's, it's an unconditional love. There are no strings attached. Uh, he loved the world, not his followers. He loved the world, not those who served him. He loves everybody. And listen, this was the, 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 he loved the world so much that the Bible says that even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, I, I would lay down my, my life for my family. I might even lay down my life for my friends. I might even go to jail for all of you. And I hope I could say I'd give my life for somebody who, who hated me. But I don't know that I'd do that. And if I did, it would only be because of the love of God would constrain me to do that. Because in me, I can't love like God loves. In and of myself. But the Bible says that, that I become a new creature. And that I, that I become filled with the love of God. 
which allows me to love others just like God loved me. I'm getting ahead of myself. But, but just understand, God so loved the world. There was no limit. There was no, there was no, there, there was no detractors. And there's no way that we can get away from it. The Bible says that, the, that, the, that, the, that we, I don't even know that we can fully understand the, the, the love of God. That was Paul's prayer for the churches that we would be able to, but I don't know that we can. I don't know that in our, in our, in our human minds, uh, still bound by our flesh, because although I'm saved and I've been made a new creature, I still have my flesh. And it affects the way that I think about things. Have you ever felt like, I don't deserve God's love? I have. Guess what? We don't. God doesn't love you because you deserve it. God loves you because he is love. For God so loved, notice the last part there, the world. This is news to the Jews. He's speaking to Nicodemus, a, a Pharisee. The Jews thought the Messiah was, was for them. Uh, they thought salvation would be for, for them. Uh, this was news to them that, that, that God came because he loved the whole world. Not just the, the upper and lower class of the Jews. Uh, he even loved the Gentiles. That's you and me. I'm thankful for that. But uh, listen, it doesn't matter what your history, your background, your baggage. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're going to do. It doesn't matter uh, what your last name is, uh, how, uh, where, where, what side of the tracks you live on, how big your house is, whether you have a job or don't have a job. It doesn't matter about the size of your bank account. It doesn't matter uh, whether people are glad to be around you or nobody wants to sit next to you because you smell. It doesn't matter. Because God loves you. And we'll say, oh yeah, uh, I understand that. But, can, but the love of God, again, is supposed to fill us. Uh, again, I'm getting ahead of myself uh, to, to, to the real message. God loved us and he gave his only begotten son. Uh, uh, so we have a, uh, I'm not giving you the outline here. We have a, an ultimate declaration that God loved the world. And then we have the ultimate demonstration of his love, that he gave his only begotten son. There's no greater demonstration, no, no more perfect demonstration of love, what real love is, than Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. First John says, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sin. The word propitiation, propitiation, means this, uh, he was the payment, uh, for, he was our sin payment. He died so that we don't have to. He, he, paid your, he paid your fine, except for your fine wasn't just a $150 fine. Your, fi your fine was death. He paid it. Why? Because he loved you. An ultimate demonstration of his, hey, hey, listen, we, we talk about loving, loving other people and, and, and we see him go through problems and we'll pat him on the back and say, I really, I'm praying for you. I hope everything's going to be okay. God says, no, let me take it for you. I watch my, if my kids get sick, I watch my kids get sick and there were, there were times, I mean, I, I think back to when Ezra was little and, and uh, the times that he was in the hospital and, and having trouble breathing. Could, he had bronchiolitis and he ended up, there, there were some really scary days. And I can remember watching him struggle to breathe and wish, God, I just wish it was me. But I couldn't do anything about it. Jesus did. 
For God so loved the world. He died for you. Listen, if you're a child of God, you know this. But let's not forget it. Let's remember just how precious that, the gift of that little baby was. It, it, wasn't, it, wasn't just the, uh, it wasn't just about the angels and the, the shepherds. and the, Yes, it was God in the flesh. And wow, what a, what a blessing, blessing and amazing advent of, that was of Christ. But the whole purpose was because he loved you so that he could die for you. We have his ultimate declaration, his ultimate demonstration, and then an ultimate decision. But whosoever believeth on him. Whosoever believeth on him. The word whosoever is amazing. Just like God loved the whole world, he'll save whosoever. You know what that means? Anybody. He would save everybody. Whoever believes on him. It's not a, when, when you send out party invitations or wedding invitations, you send them out to specific people because you don't want to have to pay for everybody. Jesus Christ had, had no problem paying the debt of everybody. He died for the sins of the whole world. And he sent this invitation out. It's an open invitation. Uh, it's not limited to, to anybody. Uh, uh, there's, there's, there's no class of people that's, that's kept apart from it. They're not, they're not segregated. Uh, God died for you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever believeth on him. It's that simple. It's an open, it's an open, uh, it's an open uh, invitation, but it's also... It has to be, while it's an open invitation, it becomes limited as a decision. See, it's open to those who decide to believe in him. God would have all men come unto him, but not all men will. And that's the, sad, that's the, the saddest thing about the whole gospel story, is that while Jesus died for everybody, we must have faith. You, you will either accept or you'll reject him. You'll either believe, believe he was God and that he died and rose again for you, or you'll reject him and you'll spend an eternity in hell. I, I sat down this week and talked to somebody uh, for, for a short period of time, and, and uh, somebody who, who, who didn't really understand what the Bible had to say about salvation. And, and listen, I don't want to ever force anybody to make a decision because a forced decision isn't any decision at all. But I, I asked him to promise me to think about it because this is the ultimate decision. God will save you, but you must accept him. You must believe on him. The word believe means to, to trust, to lean upon, to lean into. And listen, we, as, uh, we, as, uh, we must lean into the promise that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that that was enough. It's not about our works. It's not about what we do. It's not about uh, who we are, what church we belong to. It's about do we trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. It's an ultimate decision. And it's a decision that we'll all have to take, that we'll all have to make at some point in time. You say, I can put it off. By putting it off, you've made a decision. 
But say, I'll do it next week, or I'll do it next month, or I'll do it when I'm older, or just before I die. Listen, you've already made a decision, because we are not guaranteed another day on this earth. We could die at any moment, and if you die without having made that, 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 uh, that choice that, that, to trust God for salvation, then you've made the decision to not trust God, and you'll end up spending eternity in heaven, or in hell, separated from God for all eternity. Lastly, we see here in verse 16, the ultimate deliverance. Ultimate deliverance. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This idea of not perishing is not a physical, it's not a relief from physical death, it's, it's a spiritual death, it's separation from God for all eternity. Why, why must we be separated? Because of our sin, because God is holy and we're, we are unholy and we're only, we're only able to be reconciled unto, unto God through the work of Jesus Christ and we only, we only receive that righteousness through faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So if we believe, we receive the ultimate pardon, the ultimate deliverance from our sin, and we get to spend an eternity in heaven with God, reconciled with fellowship, and we're able to, to we're forgiven of our past, of our iniquities, of our sins. We're forgiven of our failures, and, and God has a, a relationship with us here on this earth. The why of the birth of Christ, the why of Christmas is God's love. God's love does a few things. God's love reconciles. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says this in verse 14 through 18. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. That he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Let's stop there for a moment. What does this mean? God loved us. First John tells us we love God because he first loved us. Until we have received the, the love of God, we cannot love one another like we're supposed to. Uh, many people love one another, but there are strings attached. That is not the, that's not the unconditional love of God. We are, as Christians, to love God unconditionally uh, with all of our heart, soul, and mind. But as God loves us, then his love fills us and is filled in us so that we also then begin to love one another as God loved us. In fact, that's how we're, husbands are supposed to love their wives and give themselves as Christ loved the church, as Christ did for the church. Uh, we, we're, we're to love one another. And here what we see is that in, there are those, those verses. The love of Christ constraineth us. It binds us. It, it propels us to do something to love him. Verse 15, if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Who are we to live for as children of God because of the love of God for us? The death of Christ and the cross. 
we're to live for Christ. Uh, Romans 12 says it this way, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. If, if Christ died for you, you should be willing to live for him. That, that, that be, because why? Because we love him. Because of what he's done for us. But uh, going forward with that, not only are we to love God, but now we're to love others like Christ loved us. Look at verse 16. Wherefore, wherefore henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us, or given to us the ministry of reconciliation. It says we're not to no man after the flesh anymore. Why? Because we're not after the flesh anymore, now we're of the Spirit. And we're to know God like we're of the Spirit. And we're to serve God like we're of the Spirit. And God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What is reconciliation? It's to bring two parts that are separated, two parts that are apart from each other, and to draw them back. God reconciled us unto him. God, God holy, us unholy. Through Christ, we've been reconciled to him. But now we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So how do we do that? Well, part of that is that we're to help to bring others to Christ. We're to, we're to go out and to share the gospel. We're to tell others about Jesus Christ. Why would we do that? Because we love God and we love others. Not only is it that, but it's also reconciliation and unity amongst the body of believers. Philippians, Philippians chapter 2 is very clear that there's not to be any strife, that there's not to be any uh, disagreement, there's not to be any division amongst the body of believers, uh, among the people of the church. We should love one another enough that we would submit and humble ourselves so that we can then be united together in the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 3 or chapter 4, I don't remember which one it is off the top of my head, uh, Paul is talking to the church and he says, he mentions two women's names, Syntyche and Euodius. And there are two women, they were co-laborers, the members of the church saved, washed in the blood of the Lamb. They loved God, but they had a problem with one another. And the Bible doesn't tell us what that problem was, but whatever it was, was causing division. And some people were taking Syntyche's side, and some people were taking Euodius' side, and what does that do? But cause division within the church. Paul says you need to fix that, because in Christ there is no division. See, love brings unity. And when we begin to talk about, when we begin to talk about uh, the love of God and the love of Christmas, listen, we can all be unified around the fact that God loved us and we can be thankful for that. We can be unified around the fact that, man, uh, I, I'm so thankful for what God has done for us. He did it because he loved us. And now we're to love one another. And listen, we can give, we can forgive, we can order to do all those things that Christ did for us. Read chapter 13 of Corinthians if you want to know what love requires us to do. To be long-suffering and patient, and kind and gentle and meek. Many of, the, many of those things are all symptoms of or fruits of the Holy Spirit. Today we live in a day and age where division is a problem. There's division politically. People on both sides of the aisle, and people just can't talk with one another anymore. 
It can't be civil. You can't have a, a regular conversation with somebody and, and disagree about something and, and not have a problem. I see it all the time on Facebook. Book face, whatever the stupid thing is. But it's not just on that. That's, just a, that, that. that's a place where people go and they fight with each other. But the symptom of the problem is in here, not on Facebook or any other social media outlet there is. That division goes, even, goes, goes so deep, it's in the heart. And listen, you know what, what started? Satan did. And listen, Satan has attacked the church from the outside for, for millennia and tried to destroy the church. And the only thing that ever hurts a church is division and strife and the lack of unity. And in this Christmas season, listen, with, with this pandemic going around and all the other problems, people struggling and with depression and suicide rates are going up and, and just the, the struggle that there is in this world, we as a body of believers, whether you're here or you're watching from home, we need to be united in the love of God. We cannot allow stupid things to pull us apart or to cause problems, to cause hurt and anger. Those things turn to bitterness, and they will destroy our church. They will destroy our church. So what do we do? Philippians chapter 2 tells us to have the same mind which was also in Christ Jesus. Starting in verse 1 says, Therefore my, my brethren dearly beloved and longed for my joy and crown so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. First thing we need to do is stand fast in our faith. There are some things that we can stand on. Many times, though, we stand fast on our political beliefs, or we'll stand fast upon our, our convictions, but we won't stand fast on the doctrine. Can I tell you the only thing that you can stand on for sure is your doctrine the doctrine of the Word of God. Now, that doesn't mean you, you have to necessarily get, forget convictions. The Bible says there are certain things that, that uh, there are some things uh, that are, are worthy of separation over. There are others that aren't. Here he said, stand fast in your face. Then he mentions Eodius and Syntyche. I said chapter 3, I was wrong, chapter 2. Notice what he tells them, be of the same mind in the Lord. Be of the same mind. Don't allow division to separate you, uh, uh, but, but be of that same mind. What mind is that? Let's jump down. Before we jump down, I want you to notice how it describes them. He describes the people of the church there, including Syntyche and Euodius. He says, he calls them yoke fellow. Those that are, that's a co-laborer, somebody who's working alongside in the gospel. 
He says, help those women which labored with me. That tells me that they, were, they had been serving God. He calls them fellow laborers and whose names are in the book of life. Listen, we need to stop demeaning and destroying, and not destroying other people because they don't have the same thought process as we do. We need to come to the same mind. That mind is of Christ. Look at verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. I'm in Philippians 4. I want to be in Philippians 2. Here it is. Verse 2. Fulfill you my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Here's the key. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind, this mind, this humble mind that he's just talking about, this lowly mind, this submitted mind, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If we're going to be, if we're going to be strong as a church, as believers, we need to be of this mind. It cannot be, we cannot be divided politically. We cannot be divided over mask or no mask. You can't be divided over whether, whether it's a pandemic or it's, it's, it's government made. None of that stuff matters. Do you know what matters? The church and our service of God. What does that mean for us? We'll talk about that in a little bit, maybe. But I think it takes some, we need some internal and internal prayer, asking God to reveal to us our hearts, make sure we're doing what the Lord would have us to do. God would help us to apply these passages, not to other people. Because it's easy to say, aha, that's right, this person knew that person. I, I, I know who you are. I'm not talking about anybody. I'm talking about all of us. And how does this passage apply to me? May God help us to have that mind. That's the mind that brought Jesus to this earth. We celebrate Christmas. He didn't deserve to come and die. But because he loved us, the Bible says the Father sent the Son, but can I tell you, Jesus laid down his life willingly. May we do the same. If not for one another, let's do it for him. Father God, I thank you for, for your, your word. God, I thank you for your example. Lord, you know our hearts. Lord, you know our thoughts. Lord, you know when, Lord, you know when we have struggled with this, with this idea of submission and unity or when anger or pride has come in. God, forgive us. 
Help us to be your people. Help us to follow your word. Help us to be unified in your love. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Heads bowed, nice.